Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Olga Budlowski. Uh, Olga spent a number of years in mergers and acquisitions department of a big four accounting firm. She then moved to a mid-sized firm to focus on high net worth private clients from all over the world. In 2017, she joined her current firm in Miami, Florida as director of international tax and advises her clients on all aspects of U.S. tax compliance, specifically in regards to real estate. Olga speaks English, Spanish, Russian, French, and Romanian. So thank you so much for being on the show, Olga. No, thank you so much, Charles, for having me on your podcast. And um, I want to just say thank you to the listeners and to the viewers. And then hopefully this will be a productive session. Oh, no, I, I bet it will be. Um, I, uh, so I touched on your background briefly. Can you go in a little bit more uh, depth about your background prior to starting with your current firm? Sure. Um, so by profession, I'm actually an attorney. I'm licensed in uh, New York State and in Florida. Um, I did start my career in one of the big four accounting firms in KPMG uh, in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, after spending some time there, I actually wanted to move to smaller firms uh, because I'm a true believer that, you know, professional expertise and client service go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, in smaller firms, you can dedicate more time to that. And, you know, it's not just about giving um, advice to clients, but it's also about making them feel that they are, you know, well-guided, that they're always well-serviced and sort of, you know, that you're always a phone call away for your clients for any additional questions. Um, so that's how I moved into smaller firms. Um, and eventually, um, as you mentioned before, I'm currently a partner at um, Lopez Levilo and Stinglinski, which is an accounting and tax advisory firm in um, Coral Gables, Miami, Florida. Okay, awesome. So getting into it, um, what are various federal tax rules foreign investors should be aware of uh, before or when investing in U.S. real estate? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think we can spend quite a few podcasts on that. It's a, quite of a comprehensive question. So, you know, I'll just give the, the bare bones and just a few, uh, few snippets of what international tax for foreign investors is all about. Um, but I think the first, the first sort of question and the first thing that any investor needs to understand is what is the scope of the investment? Um, is it long-term? Is it short-term? Uh, is it in a commercial property? Is it in a, uh, you know, personal residence? Um, is it just him, her with his family? Or are we talking about corporate investors? So I think the important part is sort of to understand the framework of the investment. Um, and then of course, to understand all the tax implications. So as a general concept is that the United States has the worldwide taxation system, right? For the US tax residents. Um, so while we have the US tax residents on one side, then we have the non-residents, which would be your typical foreign investors that you are inquiring about. So the foreign investors are only taxed on what is called US 
source income in the U.S., right? Meaning um, we can talk about rental income, right? Since we're talking about real estate or it's capital gains upon the sale of the said real estate property. So uh, that, that is sort of the main concept to keep in mind, the U.S. source income when we're talking about non-resident um, aliens. So what would be the, the, the taxpayers who are not green card holders, who are not passport holders, U.S. passport holders, and who do not exceed a certain amount of days in the U.S. in order to become tax residents. So, um, you know, I don't want to confuse people more than that. So I think I'll just, uh, I'll stop at that when it comes to what is the sort of the main way how foreigners can be taxed. It's on all of their U.S. source income that is being generated within the U.S. Now, for foreigners that are selling real estate, there's a special withholding. Can you uh, go into right. a little bit more about that? Right. So um, I, I believe you're referring to what is called FERPTA, which is uh, the, the specific withholding for foreigners. Um, convoluted soup of letters, what it stands for is Foreign Investment and Real Property Act. And, you know, I always like to put in the sort of in the framework for clients, what this rules are about and where they came from. Um, so it was passed in 1980s and basically what was happening is that foreigners um, and they would not be accountable for taxes and they would just sleep to their accountability mechanism that uh, the IRS, our internal service came up with. So rule again, there are various exceptions, various rules, but the general um, concept is that when a foreigner, whether it is uh, an individual, whether it is um, a corporation, whether it is a partnership, whether it is a trust, uh, all of that is called the uh, foreigner. Uh, so on the foreigner, um, there is a 15% withholding on the fair market value of the property. Um, so that is, uh, that way, you know, upon the sale, the 15% is held by IRS. And then the foreigner would have to file a tax return in order to get back their refund because their tax might be much lower than that 15% that was withheld by the IRS. Um, again, this is just the general rule. There are a lot of exceptions. There are ways to minimize this withholding um, you know, prior to the closing of the transaction. Uh, there are various provisions where FERPTA would not even apply um, if you, again, present the case to the IRS. Uh, but just it's something to be aware of um, as this rule um, exists and in often cases, you know, foreigners are a little bit apprehensive of this, but at the end of the day, it is just an accountability uh, process. It is not an additional tax. That is what I always like to tell my clients that it is not an additional tax. It is just a tax like all the other, um, you know, U.S. residents are subject to when they sell a property, they have to pay tax on any gain. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so they would have to file a tax return at the end of the year and possibly get back whatever is owed, whatever they actually uh, was not owed to the government. Exactly. What they sort of overpaid through the withholding. Exactly. Awesome. So how do you decide what entity structure 
is correct for foreign investors when developing a plan to invest in the U.S.? Um, say there, I know there's so many different nuances. Say they want to purchase a commercial property or apartment building. Right. Um, so I guess it goes back to what I mentioned, um, you know, a few questions before. Um, it is important if, you know, if we're talking about a personal property, I mean, is it a family that is purchasing for, um, for short term? Is it something where they plan eventually to live in? They plan to move to the U.S.? Um, uh, it would be for- is it a rental property? Yeah, say it's a, a strictly an investment property that's probably okay. done by one or two, uh, one or two people, and they're forming a company, and or they want to form a company to purchase this said commercial property, uh, right. residential complex, something like this. Right. So, um, you know, if it's if it's for investment, obviously, it is never advisable to purchase it in a personal name. Uh, you know, not even from tax point of view, but just talking from corporate point of view, mm -hmm. uh, just for liability purposes. So there's always some need for a structure. Um, then, you know, the just uh, as, as again, the bare bones of, of entities in the US, um, if some foreigners are aware of, you know, our typical LLC, which is in the US, which stands for a limited liability company, um, then what foreigners need to understand is that, that if that LOC has only one owner, it is treated as a disregarded entity. What does that mean? That um, if they buy a property in the name of that company and if it generates rental income, then that income flows up to the investor. So, you know, he or she or they would have to file a tax return in the U.S., right? or if that LLC has at least two owners, then it is treated what we call in the US a partnership. Mm. Um, again, all of the items of income that are generated at the level of the LLC would flow up to the partners and then they would have to, um, they would have to report whatever income is generated on their personal tax return. Um, obviously, another point that foreigners have to take into account when we're advising about structures is the concept of estate tax, um, because in the U.S. it is quite of a, um, you know, quite of a high rate um, in, 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 in the event of death on, on the part of the investors. Uh, the estate tax in the U.S. is about 40% and foreigners only have an exemption of 60,000. So, um, and you know, and it's 40% on the fair market value. So assume a typical, you know, if we just take 500,000 or a million um, property, you know, simple condo somewhere in Miami, um, do the math and, and it, it quite becomes quite pricey. Um, so, you know, in a lot of cases, the most typical structure is obviously to put a, a foreign blocker, um, because in that case, um, if the investor unfortunately passes away with any U.S. property, um, he or she or they uh, are not perceived to have any U.S. assets, but what they're perceived to have is shares of a foreign company, for instance. Okay. Um, but again, there, there's sort of a lot of other structures and, you right. know, it's very case by case. So, um, you know, I, I just don't want to generalize. So just a few snippets of, of what structuring is all about. 
Yeah. No, it's just good to get in. Uh, so people will have an idea. So when they're speaking to a professional, when they're right. speaking to you, um, they'll have an idea of questions asked and um, they right. can get that all sorted out for them, whatever. Obviously, every person's estate and every person's investment structure is going to be a little different. Um, yes. One thing we have is we have... Um, we have some listeners that are syndicators. So they're grouping money together and they're purchasing rental property, mainly multifamily commercial properties in the United States. And they'll have foreign investors that come in and I get asked this question a lot and they're always wondering if they have foreign investors and they're going to be paying out, you know, these people normally like for a U.S. person, they'd be getting a K one, even for a, yeah. I guess, international person, they'd be getting a K one. Um, do the syndicators, the general partners, if this person is a foreign investor, is a limited partner, the, the general partners have to withhold for that. They're going to have, is that a requirement? They have to withhold for that limited partner if they're based foreign? Yeah. So usually um, any U.S. partnership, if it has foreign owners, uh, yes, the partnership has to withhold on the foreign partners. And how the withholding happens is that it occurs at the highest rate of the partner. So let's say if the foreign partner comes in through a foreign corporation, right, then the withholding at the partnership level would happen at the corporate uh, rate, at the highest corporate rate. If it's, if it's an individual um, investor, then the U.S. partnership would withhold at the highest individual tax rate. Hmm. And then when the partners receive what you just mentioned, the, the K-1, which is the form where is reflected the partnership interest and the items of income that are associated with that partnership interest, then the partners have to file their tax return. And if their actual rate is lower than that highest rate that the U.S. partnership would held at, they can get a refund back hmm. or they will just have to you know, pay additional tax. It sort of depends case, yeah. case by case. But as a general rule, yes, U.S. partnerships have to withhold if they have foreign partners. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing with the FERPTA is that the government doesn't want to be going doesn't want to be going offshore looking for money. Exactly. They, they're going to withhold all of it. And then they have to, that foreign investor has to come back and kind of prove to them with the tax return that, this is an ode to me and there's probably a ton of depreciation, especially when we're talking with uh, this type of properties. So there might be an right. instance where they own, they own, uh, they owe very little or none at all. So, which is, uh, which is awesome. The, one of the questions, um, I guess, uh, with the I 10 and I wanted to kind of go through the process. I know you guys probably will fast track that for different investors that come to you. Um, can you explain a little bit, um, about the I 10, and the process it takes and why someone would need that if it's their first time investing in U.S. real estate? Right. So, uh, you know, we can take the example of FERPTA that we already discussed. Um, so let's assume if a foreigner uh, or a foreign investor um, has a property in the U.S., but it was never rented, right? Mm -hmm. They never had to actually present a tax return in the U.S., and then they would like to sell this property. So when they sell the property, they have to uh, include their tax ID on, on the various forms that are associated with the firm, the process, right? With the withholding or, or if they want to request a low withholding prior to the closing. So what happens is that you have to present two applications. One 
is for the um, is for the the FERPTA, and the other application is for the for the tax ID. Uh, so you know it's a fairly simple process. The application itself, it's just waiting for the tax ID can take longer, and it doesn't mean that you have to obtain it prior to, for example, filing your FERPTA application. Um, you know, you would need the, the typical documents. It's a certified passport copy. Um, if the client is here in person in Miami, they would just come to our office and we would certify that, you know, we saw the passport, we saw the client, we know who that, you know, both match, right? Um, but if, if the client is not here, then we obviously have to request a certified copy from the embassy in their um, jurisdiction. Hmm. So, Having the document and then, you know, the supporting documentation of FERPTA, for example, you mail that package to IRS and then we basically wait uh, for the approval. Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of how it goes. But the important, the one, one important uh, point that I wanted to mention that sometimes our clients are also confused is um, they would sometimes call and say, I would like to apply for a tax ID. And the question is why? Well, because I think I might need it in the future. Well, it doesn't work like that. You you need to have a reason to apply for a tax ID. Um, so it's either I need to present a tax return, I have to file a FERP application, I need to you know get a refund back. There has to be a reason. You cannot just apply for tax ID just because. <laughs> yeah. well, um, is it true then that if I'm foreign and I'm coming and saying buying a, a condo in Miami for cash? Do right. I need to have an ITIN at that time or is it just going to be if I'm when I'm going to sell it and there's going to be some sort of income, let's say I made something on it. Is that the time when it, the ITIN would be required? So if you buy, you know, if you are the foreign investor and, and you would like to buy a property through a company, for example, for an LOC that we just discussed a few minutes ago, yeah. then that LOC uh, needs to apply for a tax ID. Yeah. Because eventually you would like you would like to open a bank account, I assume, in the name of that LOC. If this is a if this is a uh, investment property and you would like to rent it, um, then that LOC. So the steps would be the following: you open um, you open a company an LOC. Uh, you close the property in the name of that LOC. You apply for a tax ID for that LOC, and then you open a bank account in that LOC and then you can start renting the property. Okay. So same basic process that a U.S. investor would use for doing it. Obviously, um, not having the, not requiring the ITIN because we already have a social security number. But right. um, obviously, they can just reach out to you and um, you could walk them through the process of what they need or what they don't need. Um, it's like yeah. you were saying, you need to have a reason for applying for the ITIN. So what do you suggest the best, uh, the first steps for a foreign investor to take before investing in the U.S.? Is it to come and talk to a CPA, talk to a tax attorney um, before buying real estate, if it's personal or for investment? You know, I think the, the best client is the, the well-informed client, right? That's, that's what makes, <laughs> um, you know, a, a good decision. So I, I would suggest to talk to the real estate agent, to talk to a corporate attorney, to talk to a tax attorney, um, you know, to talk to accountants, um, tax accountants. And then also if, if down the road that investor is thinking of potentially moving to the U.S., maybe it's a, 
you know, maybe they will be looking at an investor visa or they would be immigrating with their family, uh, also to involve an immigration attorney. So I think the more information the client has, um, the better decision he or she or they will make. Um, so, you know, we, we always, I mean, the policy of our firm is to give um, a complimentary consultation the first time we meet a client. Uh, because I, you know, we truly believe that it is important for the client to understand what they're getting into mm-hmm. before, uh, you know, investing in the U.S. or sort of committing to something. Um, so, so definitely discussing with with several um, experts. That is that would be my best advice. Yeah. So, what uh, services is, does your accounting firm? provide if you can just go through them so people have an idea other than everything that we explained here the i10 right. what additionally yeah um i mean the the i10 yeah that is just one one small part of what we do um you know in addition to being a purely accounting firm that when we offer compliance services we are consulting and tax advisory firm which i think is a crucial distinction with a lot of other accounting firms um you know, when we meet the client, we want to understand the structure that they have, whether it's already here in the U.S. or if it's in their local jurisdiction or wherever else in the world, um, in order to be able to advise um, on, on U.S. tax concepts. Um, so once we advise the client from sort of structure, from, from tax point of view, then we can move into the implementation um, side where we, you know, we help with filing the tax returns, preparing the accounting, and so on and so forth. So, in terms of services, you know, uh, we help with, of course, with all the real estate structuring. If the client is considering buying um, uh, some business in the U.S., we offer as well due diligence services um, in the real estate. Um, arena. We also assist with cost segregation studies. If we're talking about commercial properties, which is again, probably a topic for another podcast, um, you know, with business valuations, uh, property valuations. I mean, we, we really truly try to um, offer a holistic approach to, to every client to um, offer the best service. And so they can be um, well-informed and well-advised from all aspects. That's awesome. So it's definitely full service firm. Yes. And, uh, where can Olga, where can they learn more about your firm and yourself? Sure. So um, they can definitely um, look us up on our website, which is um, LLLGPA.com. Um, Lopez Levy, Lowenstein Glinsky. Um, and they can find our information there. Um, and we'll be happy. We'll be happy to assist everybody. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll put all the links in the bottom uh, for the podcast and for the YouTube video. So I want to thank you for being on the show today, Olga, and uh, have a great rest of your day. No, thank you so much, Charles. I appreciate it. And, and thanks for everybody's, um, everybody's time on this podcast who was watching and listening. <laughs> thank you. Hi, guys. This is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate, and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at SchedulePcharles.com. That's SchedulePcharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit GlobalInvestorPodcast.com. 
And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.